Welcome to the International Collective of Female Cinematographers podcast, where every week we'll be talking to a different cinematographer and listening to their stories as they navigate the filmmaking world, sharing secrets and experiences to empower our community. The ICFC is a collective of professional female cinematographers from around the world who provide each other with community support and industry advocacy. We are your hosts, Fabienne and Amelia. Today we start our second season with a tribute to Helena Hutchins, ASC. Learn about Helena's amazing life from her friends and colleagues through recordings of stories and memories about her submitted by members of our community as we pay tribute to her on the second anniversary of her death on the set of Rust. Welcome to season two! Yay! Season two! Yeah, wow. Big accomplishment. We have um, uh, season one as of today, which is Friday, October 20th. We have about 2,300 listens, which is pretty amazing. Wow, amazing. Mm-hmm. Thank you all. Yeah, thank you for listening to us. Um, we've got a really exciting season ahead of us, but uh, we wanted to start off with something that is very um, dear and personal to a lot of people in this community in particular. Because tomorrow, oh well, today if you're listening on October 21st, because we're launching on October 21st, is the two-year anniversary of Helena Hutchins' death on the set of Rust. And um, it was an incident that really left a huge impact on the cinematography community and particularly the female cinematography community. Um, It was really hard to lose one of our own. And um, personally speaking, she was one of my best friends and it was uh, really hard to um, absorb and process that news. And to be honest, I'm still in part of a grief process. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's like so many people, there were so many layers of 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 um, of how close people were with uh, Helena. Right. And like yeah. and some people who didn't know her at all. And it's the the ripple effect that this had on our community, on anyone, even, you know, this this reached outside of the entertainment uh, industry. This people were asking me about this. And mm-hmm. and it's just like it's uh, yeah, it's two years. I'm still processing it as well. Like I just, you know, it. it just makes me so angry, but we'll also let go of that a little bit to a certain degree because we all know what went wrong. We all, everyone in the film industry knows what went wrong and how many layers of things went wrong for this to happen. Um, So we don't have to begin that debate again or anything like that. But, (laughs) but uh, I think it's important to focus on, you know, on, on her and on, you know, and on the rest of us and our lives going forward as well and how, and how we can take this as a lesson. You know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. For me, one of the biggest things I've just heard from the community is that um, since she died towards the tail end of COVID, uh, the funeral had to be really small. Mm. And we were never able to have a public funeral for her or a public memorial. And I know that's left that, that's made an impact on like the way people have grie- grieved, I think. Yeah. I've just had a lot of people come up to me and be like, oh, I really wish there was a public funeral. Um, and so this is kind of my way of doing a little public funeral for her. We reached out to the community, to our members, and um, asked them to send in memories or stories um, 
of Helena they had when they met her or encountered her or the way her life or her death impacted them. And we've received six recordings from our community. Um, I do want to acknowledge that uh, there are a lot of people who wanted to submit something, to wanted to send in something, but found it really, really hard. And I want to acknowledge that this is still a really delicate subject for a lot of people. Um, a lot of people are still in a part in their grieving process where they can't speak out about that. And yeah. I want to be very respectful of that because I was I was in that place too. It's This is the first time I'm really publicly speaking out about it. Uh, I've been quiet for two years because it's hard. It's hard to vocalize that and put that yeah. out there, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's only fair that if I ask the community to send yeah. in these things, I start with one of my own. Yeah. My goal is to really remind people of who she was as a human, as a person. She was this incredibly vibrant uh, friend. And um, so for those of you who don't know, or, um, well, you you guys might you might have guessed that I went to the AFI Conservatory by this point. <laughs> yes, uh, we did. We did. Um, we talk about it a lot here. Yeah, um, whoops, me too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, actually, Fab and I were a year, ap- a year apart. You're 2016, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah 2016, yeah. exactly. I met Helena um, because she was in my year. She was a class of 2015. And I want to start off by the way I met her because mm. I think it just really encompasses who she was. And um, <laughs> so the way this goes is, um, so on registration day, our first day when you have to go in and register and, you know, everything, paid deposit, whatever. Uh, I was in the registration line and... Um, I was talking to people in the line and I started to feel really self-conscious. There were people in my class who had shot features, who had been career assistant camera people, who had a lot of experience. And I was just sitting there being like, I don't know who let me in. Um, Cause like I, we talk about imposter syndrome. That was a major moment of like, mm-hmm. <laughs> who the hell let me in here? Right. Um, I am not going to survive this. Um And as I'm having my little panic moment there, this really bubbly, really energetic uh, woman, you know, she had long blonde hair at the time, just uh, comes up to me and goes like, hey, I'm Helena Hutchins. Who are you? And I'm like, "Um, um, my name name is Amelia and me. She's like, cool, awesome. What discipline are you on? I'm like, I'm I'm cinematography. She's like, oh, me too. And she's like, do you have lunch plans? And I'm like, um. No, no, no. I I don't know what I'm going to do for lunch. She's like, well, now you do. You're coming to lunch with me. And I'm like, okay, Uh, (laughs) I I guess I'll go to lunch. (laughs) Um, She tried to convince a few other people to go to lunch with her. Um, I don't think anyone else took her up on the (laughs) offer. So uh, we loaded into her RAV4 that I remember she she had a Panavai sticker on of the back course, of it. Of course, of course. And uh, she was already a DP. It was already full of gels and, um, <laughs> you know, on top of the baby seat because her son was really young at the time. Mm. And uh, well, we went out to get Baja Fresh. <laughs> and, what a lunch spot. 
Amazing. Um, and it was at that little uh, mall over by, like, in by WeHo, where, like, Formosa mm-hmm. Cafe is and the Target yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, once we finished lunch, there was, like, um, like a one of the makeup brands, I think it was Benefit or something, had, like, one of those, like, pop-up makeup counter things. And she's like, let's go get our nails done and get makeup done. And I was like, okay. And... <laughs> Uh, Manny and so a little bit of a makeup over later um, we headed back to AFI Conservatory and uh, we were friends ever since so uh, <laughs> that is that is how lunch I met lunch and nails lunch and nails um, she was the first person that really made me feel at ease mm-hmm. um, in at AFI and like I'm so lucky that I that she was my classmate and one of my really good friends Yeah, I think that what you're saying about like putting people at ease, like I didn't know her that well. I can only call her really an acquaintance. I wish I I had gone to know everyone in your year better than I actually uh, did. But um, but she was the type of person who like at every single event that we were both at, she would like find me and talk to me and Mm -hmm. would know everything about my career and what was going on. And I felt like I just first of all, I was just so thrown by that and was and it felt so beautiful to have someone who was so supportive in that way. And it was just like it. She was that type of magnetic human that made you feel like you knew her more than you actually did sometimes, too, in that way. Like if you were only an acquaintance, like there is that fuzzy feeling I still have around her and the present, you know, and what and what I felt in her presence, you know, even with how little I did know of her. So I think that that's like that at ease and that like comfort that she brought to the table was really beautiful. Yeah, no, I think, you know, there's that, I think it's a TikTok going around how, like, the way introverts make friends and an extrovert adopts them. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> is that, is that I, this I, dynamic? Yeah, I, yeah, she, I was, I was her adopted introvert. <laughs> I'm not going to lie about that. But yeah, she was, she had just this ability to be everywhere. Um, she was such a social butterfly, yeah. um, which is which is really, really impressive. I, I have no idea how she did it. And uh, there was this moment also in like one of our first um, uh, season episodes, I think it was the Indiana one where like, you know, she talks about her friends saying like, what, thinking about mm-hmm. like, what would Indy do? Like my version of that is what would Helena do? Yeah. And that's still like my version right now. Um, whenever I feel like I don't want to go somewhere and network, I just be like, what would Helena do? And I'm just like, damn yeah. it. Okay, she would go. I'm going to go. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> damn it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, so let's play our first recording. It's from Kristen Fieldhouse. My name is Kristen Fieldhouse, and I'm a cinematographer. Dearest Helena, I can't believe it's been two years since you passed, and you're always on my mind, both on and off set. I have a smiling picture of you at my mom's cart to remind me when the days are long of how lucky I am to make films because you don't get to do that anymore. Some of the hardest moments are those that involve weapons or fight sequences because I feel that PTSD of you unwittingly. The justice you deserve and the accountability that has not happened is inexcusable. And so we continue to strive for a safer set in your honor. I will remember you as someone who always made every single person around you feel special. The last time we spoke, we shared wine and cheese, talked about your horse riding adventures, 
gate crashing airy party a camera marge or how scuba diving with sharks was easier than getting color in post we also talked about crew we loved and the moments of images coming together as only dps would you always had that ability to care and to be inquisitive on what was needed or how to bring everyone together till next time my friend we all miss you very much and for the films you would have made, the mother you would have been, and the visionary that you always were. Yeah, these are dense. <laughs> yeah, I knew I was going to be a blubbery mess during this. Uh, actively crying on this side of the microphone, everyone. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Okay. It's um, the wine and cheese part. Um, she loved food. Oh, my God. And she loved desserts more than anything. Chocolate desserts. Um, <laughs> Decadent. I remember that whenever we would go eat, <clears throat> like eat out or whatever to mm-hmm. a restaurant, she would always look at the dessert menu first. <laughs> ah, yes. And then work backwards from <laughs> and that. Work backwards from that. Beautiful. <laughs> That's that is how you live life. Like, honestly, like yeah. thinking about that and working backwards. I love that. Yeah. And uh, she always ordered more than one dessert. <laughs> um, yeah. And. Um, yeah, like another story that that reminds me is that. Uh, she never let me pay when we went out. Never. I'd, I'd, I'd fight for the bill. She would never let me pay. <clears throat> she would be like, I'm doing okay. You'll, you'll treat me to lunch when your career starts like taking off. And the last time we went out together, uh, we went to Tacos to Madre. She really liked Tacos to Madre out in WeHo. And she went to the bathroom towards the end. <laughs> And I asked the waiter for the bill and paid for it. She gave me such an earful. She came back from the bathroom. She was like, what the hell? I was going to pay for it. I was like, um, I was working at my TV station that job then. So I had money, a little bit of money. And, I, you know, I'm really glad I got to at least pay for one. Meeting. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's like some aggressive generosity there getting yes. there. <laughs> aggressive generosity. Very much so. That's beautiful though. Yeah. Okay, let's go on to our second recording. This is from Alexis Kraslovsky. My heart goes out to the family, friends, and crew of director of photography, Alina Hutchins, who was killed on October twenty first, two thousand twenty one. What a Bob Gunn was discharged by actor Art Baldwin on the set of Grouse, which she was filming. Stories of camera women whose lives were threatened by civil uprisings, unfriendly police, or hostile politicians, deadly snipers, unsafe sets, and more, and who filmed wars in Vietnam, in the Middle East, the Balkans, China, the former USSR and Afghanistan are included in the 2015 book, Shooting Women Behind the Camera Around the World, which I co-wrote with uh, Harriet Margolis and Juliet Stein after having written and directed the documentary called Women Behind the Camera. And our book features a section entitled, quote, 
worst moments, dangers, and risking one's life. For example, in New Zealand, Campbell woman, Margaret Moth, uh, was shot at many times along with other CNN crew in San Hebo. And in 1992, uh, quote, a sniper shot three rounds into the car and she was shot in the face. And after 12 operations to reconstruct her face, quote, she returned to film again in Sarajevo in 1994. And her concession was to wear a bulletproof vest. And by then, CNN was reluctant to have her continue as a war correspondent, saying, well, we, we don't want you taking risks. Are you sure it's safe? But I felt at the time that the film and book uh, came out that by documenting the dangers and threats that cinematographers have often faced, these problems would be addressed and their work and our world would become much safer. According to Professor Karen C. Carpenter at California State University in Northridge, quote, in the 1980s, the Los Angeles film and TV industry created the quote, safety pass program to satisfy California's Occupational Safety and Health Administration's rules that employees be trained in the safe use of equipment and work practices on the job. And after this program began, Hollywood reported fewer work injuries and deaths, but only the state of California legislated safety training for film or TV workers, end quote. Well, so what, what about the rest of the United States and when will activist calls for fewer guns and filmmakers' calls for safety on the set be taken seriously enough that this horrible kind of event will never happen again? And more fundamentally, why must guns be depicted so frequently in American media? Are, are there so few storylines that don't revolve around gun violence to interest producers and audiences worldwide? By using the title, Shooting Women, We've always meant to honor the women who shoot films, television productions, commercials, documentaries, art films, often against the odds. We have never meant shooting at women. This terrible tragedy could have been prevented with stronger safety set measures. Alina Hutchins, R.I.P. Wow. Yeah, I am. Um... I really like this one. It provides a little bit more context about the um, safety precautions or the safety issues we face as professionals in this field sometimes and the history of that. And well, I think there's a little bit of more awareness. I think there's still so much to be done. Yeah. There's still so many safety issues on set that just, you know, I, I don't, I really don't want anyone else to go through what her family's been through, her friends have been through, this community has been through. Helena Hutchins and my, I, I, I would, I don't want another name added to this list of yeah. people who have been killed or seriously injured on set. It's, we, we can do better. This is a job that we could, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to... Well, there's just a lot. I mean, even in the smallest of ways, there are ways in which productions are cutting corners and doing things that are constantly putting crew at risk, you know, in every yeah. single way. We don't need a gun on set to be in danger on set. Yep. 
So I just, you know, there's so much fundamentally that still needs to be fixed. And, and also not only like within the system, but just changing the minds of how this can run, how this industry can run and how many hours we need to work and like what we're even getting out of, out of our crew members, if we're overworking them and all these things, Mm -hmm. there's just so much, there's just such an unhealthy system that was created. And now it is just like, we are fighting against that, those barriers, you know, and this is just... Yet another. I mean, Sarah Jones. How long has it been since Sarah Jones passed? You know? Yeah, it's, it's uh, nine years, almost 10 years. It'll yeah. be 10 years in 2024. Yeah. And I'm sure when that happened, the the intensity of feeling and it still is like that. Mm-hmm. Right. But like the, the change and the push and the and everything that people felt probably around that and for mm-hmm. actually not all that much to change at the end of the day. Yeah. Like, that's what I'm scared about with this too. And I think that we've already seen that that didn't happen, that there was so much momentum behind what had happened. There was so much change that could have happened, but then the, you know, people up top just could not, could not actually capitalize on that and be able to, to push our industry in a better way, you know? And it's like, that is what, you know, that is what I remember, like, outside of the grief of all of, of her life and everything, the thing that stuck with me most when I heard about her death was that could have been me. That could have been my my best friend. That could have been anyone yes. I know. That could have been any of us. Yes. You know, that it was just it was just chance that it ended up being her. Yes. You know, yeah. it was just chance that it was Sarah Jones. You know, it was just chance that it was that, you know, grip that, you know, fell asleep on, on, you know, the way home. It was just like, it's because of the situation, any, that could have happened to any one of us. We've all been yeah. put in those situations. Yep. 100%. And that's, that's what needs to change. We need to be focusing on this and we need to stop thinking about just the dollar signs and just the like products and think about the humans that are involved in this industry. Yes. 100. We are all human beings, you know? Ugh. And we just, and we deserve a safe workplace. Yeah. And, and in that note, I want to, I want to really try to empower anyone on set, if you see anything that is unsafe, speak up. That could be your life. It could be one of your crew members, one of the cast members, anybody on that set's life. If you see something, say something. I know that's sometimes really hard if you don't feel that you're in a position of power. I think I've been there. I'm sure you've been there, Fab. Mm -hmm. But if you feel there's something not safe going on, say something. Say something to your department head, say something to a producer, to the AD, to whoever you think could make a change. Yeah. Because if you, yeah. And if you are a department head, make sure that that is being told to your to your crew as well. Mm-hmm. Like in every single, you know, every, in the prep of uh, any project that I'm doing, my my emails to my camera and G&E crew always include at the end like please remember that nothing that we do on set is worth your life or anyone's life. And if there's mm-hmm. any you feel mentally or physically at risk at any point, please say something, you know, and like trying to remind people that you are creating that that environment. And I know it's scary because it can be the difference of you having a job or not having a job. I know yep. people who have called out safety concerns and got fired. Yeah. And then now they that reputation is following them. But like, and I know that's hard. And I know that there's ripple effects in this industry that are so much bigger than than we can fathom. But we have to try to do better, you know, and you and mm-hmm. hopefully I mean, I, you know, ideally we're not working with the people who would react that way in the first place. Right. Yeah. And so like good riddance, we don't want to work with you anyways. Yeah. But 
I know that there's that ripple effect, but we have to make a change at some point or else we are just going to continue to be going deeper and deeper into this hole. Yeah. And I think as a department head, that's really important, you know, just not not just physical safety, but emotional safety. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I've seen actors be put in emotional situations that are definitely not safe. Yeah. And sometimes they don't feel empowered to say anything. And yeah. if, if you were in a position to say something, do that, you know, look out for each other, look out for your crew, look out for your actors, look out for yeah. anyone on that set. Emotional safety is just as important as set safety. I've seen people come out of stuff with PTSD that, you know, could have been easily avoided. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And don't promote like unsafe set practices just because it got you the shot as well. Like yeah. that is something that like, okay, maybe I'm going to get in trouble for this, but the film Athena that came out on Netflix, like last year or something mm-hmm. like that. I don't know if you saw it. They had this whole BTS movie of th- the making of the film and the amount of unsafe set practices that they did where they were literally jumping onto like vans without like very good safety stuff, like camera people doing that and all these mm. things. And the director and everyone's like, yeah, it was so cool that we did it. And this was Netflix putting it out to the world as if this is okay. And I was really upset about that because it yeah. just felt like it was perpetuating that same thing that we need mm-hmm. to do that. Like even the main actor like wanted to get roughed up and have the other actor actually hit him because he he knew the director wanted that performance. And and it's like, when do you, how, like, I, I, I honestly, I always think about this. How do you save people from themselves sometimes too? Yeah. You know, like they think like they're, th- th- this kid was a young actor. I'm sure he thought that this was the authentic thing and he had to put himself through this to be able to feel those emotions. Yeah. But guess what? Acting is really powerful and you can pull from things without needing to get physically hurt or emotionally hurt in ways. And I'm not an actor. I'm not trying to tell people how to, you know, do their job. But I just think that there is so much toxic uh, practices in yeah. in this industry. And it and it's in every single department. And even the people who are getting paid the most and, you know, and have all the prestige, they are also the ones who are getting, yeah, like, I can't believe how many situations I've seen actors in and I'm just like yeah. what is this are they okay and I try to figure it out but yeah sometimes the hierarchy makes things really sticky yeah you know no I mean um I've been listening to this other podcast called Dear Hollywood by Aunt Allison Stoner and mm. it, it takes a deep dive into um child actors in Hollywood mm. and she is it's really really dense <laughs> um and one of the things she does mention is that she didn't even know that like there were um, safe ways to get out of an emotional headspace as an actor. Mm. And there, so, you know, make sure like that you don't have to be stuck in those, in those spaces, you know, there's safe ways to go in and out of that, um, as an acting professor and same with us, you know, there's, there's so many like little safety issues that sometimes we don't think about. Like I've heard people getting, you know, have sandbags dropped on their heads. I've stepped on a, I stepped on a C stand that was buried underneath a ram board because I didn't, you know, oh, it's, and I, I took a C stand to the head. It was, you know, it sets are dangerous places. So like, yeah. you know, if you can call out or move the sandbag, make sure the sandbag is not in a place that it will fall from scaffolding and hit somebody or a roof or something like that, or wow. make sure the C stand is not underneath a ram board. That's already <laughs> a huge I thing. I hate ram boards so much. So. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> Rambart's the worst. I get why we need it sometimes, but I hate it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just uh, making sure we follow these really small safety 
measures that it can go a long way. Yeah. Um, and luckily things are to help, like changing and helping. I mean, like intimacy coordinators is a really yes. beautiful thing that I think is yes. so important. And I had that on set a couple of times and I've seen, I've seen the difference in the way that the actors yeah. feel on set, how everyone is and people are just checking in in ways and, and, you know, they're like, when COVID hit, there was a COVID compliance officer. Like, why do we not have someone outside of the AD and mm. the key grip being on top of safety? Why yeah. is there not a safety coordinator, you know, on set yeah. for exactly this thing? Just to make sure, because when you are working, sometimes you start to get in the emotion of things or the or the fast yep. pace and you don't quite realize that maybe you are doing something slightly unsafe, yeah. you know, and to have someone on set to like be able to help manage that a little bit and remind people. And yeah, I'm sure there are people who probably would not want someone telling them to be more safe on set. But yeah. I, I'm sorry, like your pride is not worth that person's life. Like it's just it's not at the end of the day. So please get over yourself and please just be more like, you know, aware yeah. of these things. So Hopefully yeah. more will come, but <laughs> hopefully, um, yeah. Also, this uh, I want to take this time to push for like just trying to find more initiatives for better set safety in general. Mm -hmm. I we're still we're still trying to figure out what that looks like, but if anyone else there has ideas, hey, let's talk because yeah. let's make this a safer place to work in and make yeah. sure Helena's death, something like this, never happens again. Yeah. Um, so our third recording is from one of Helena's really close friends. She's, I reached out to a few of her close friends who are not cinematographers, but still mm. work in the film industry. This is from Denise Harkavy. She is a screenwriter um, that worked with Helena on several projects. Hi, my name is Denise Harkavy. Um, I work as a TV writer in Los Angeles, and I was a very close friend of Helena's. The first time I met Helena was at an ASC event um, in 2015, I believe. And, um, well, this woman didn't suffer from any kind of social anxiety. Um, she saw me across the room. Our eyes met. She smiled, walked over, and it turned into a two-hour conversation about storytelling and, and movies. Uh, and that's pretty much uh, who she was. I don't believe I've ever met anyone who was as passionate about the medium of cinema she was. It's still pretty hard for me to come to terms with the fact that she's gone. Um, and I was struggling with that for a very long time. And uh, sometimes I still, you know, forget that I won't be able to call her. And whenever I watch uh, a movie that moves me to tears, which doesn't happen very often, I feel the need to uh, talk to her about it, um, which unfortunately I won't be able to do ever again. Two years later, in 2017, Helena and I collaborated for the first time uh, when she did the cinematography on a short film of mine that I wrote and directed. And I went pretty quickly from being a fan of hers as a person to being a fan of hers professionally. She was the most focused, detail-oriented, but also collaborative person I've ever worked with. Um, her main goal was to always you know, stick to the director's vision while at the same time providing her unique flair and skill set to each individual project. And the way the crew respected her um, was indicative of, um, you know, how she would treat others. 
And she really always led with, uh, with kindness, which is what I really appreciated about her. I remember it was our uh, second weekend of shooting. It was around 3 a.m. It was cold. It was raining. We were all miserable. The crew was running out of battery, and she was the only person who kept everyone going um, with her optimism and, and her passion and her sense of humor. Um, and I, I just kept wondering, wow, this person just has an endless battery, it seems like. And it was incredible because uh, I believe her child must have been around four or five years old at the time. So uh, you could tell that she was very, very dedicated to her career, her calling. It's always obvious when someone tries to enter the film industry with big dreams that are very ego-driven and when somebody truly has a calling to do what they're doing. And Helena fell into the latter category. She had been given a gift um, that, you know, we, we needed. And uh, it breaks my heart that she wasn't able to get to where she deserved and that especially we're losing out on watching this incredible talent unfold and reach its uh, full potential. I don't think I'll ever get over that either. When we weren't working together or talking movies or going to see a movie, Helena usually dragged me out on hikes or to events that, you know, me as an introvert, I didn't want to go to, but she was the extroverted friend who never even asked if you were available. She would just call or text you and say, I'm going to this thing. You're coming with me. I'm picking you up at four. <laughs> That's what was so wonderful about her and uh, about our friendship. I think she was truly the yin to my yang. I learned a great deal from her, not just as an artist, but also as a human being. Um, she taught me that it's important to be fearless and never let anybody undermine what you're here to do in this lifetime and that all limitations are honestly made up in our mind when it comes to what we can achieve creatively and also how important connection is human connection you know um, this is a collaborative medium and we're all lost without one another and it's wonderful to have people who you know will be by your side during this very arduous journey what was particularly traumatic about the way Helena passed was not just that it happened so suddenly and it was a senseless death that could have been avoided if it had been due to negligence, cost cutting, and ultimately incompetence. That was also that um, there was just no accountability taken by anyone. Um, and I think from what I know about Helena, if her death could have made a difference change the laws, you know, make sure that crew members are safe or safer in the future. I think that would have, uh, you know, at least made her feel like her death meant something. I mean, at the end of the day, we lost a rare human being, a one in a million person that didn't have a fake cell in their body and uh, a wonderful cinematographer and a uh, fantastic mother. We, we lost this person forever. And um, it feels like we haven't learned anything as a global community, especially our industry. And I think that's what still grinding my gears to this day. Of course, I realized that nothing will ever 
bring Helena back. But I also don't believe that any amount of money can even attempt to replace what she would have been able to bring to the world and to everyone who knew her and loved her. So hopefully one day uh, a situation will occur in which accountability will be taken. And uh, it's not going to bring justice to the situation, but hopefully it will uh, protect others from meeting a similar fate. That's my hope, at least. Oof. Yeah. I know Denise really well. And um, she's one of the people that um, has helped me process my grief, honestly. And um, I think I think her statement really, really captures everything we go through. I, I don't know. I just it's it's this it's this wave of like sadness and, mm -hmm. and regret and then just anger um, and, and loss. Yeah. And I think right now um, I kind of echo <laughs> that anger that she has. Like, yeah. I, I, I really do. I want justice and accountability. Yeah. And I want, I, I want to preserve her legacy, safeguard it as much as possible. And there's, there's so many facets to that, I think. Mm. I, I I still get hit by uh, moments where I want to call her, like when the Alexa thirty five came out. She was really excited about that. You know, she really wanted. She it hadn't come out. It hadn't been really announced, but she kind of knew that it was being developed. And when it came out, I was like, "Damn, I I need a call." Uh, yeah, yeah. And it's still hard. There's still moments like that that I I can't call her. Yeah, that's the thing about loss, I think, is that I just, I don't know, every person I've lost, I've never been able to fully accept that they're not somewhere in this world. Yeah. Because it just doesn't feel real. No. You know, like that, you know, as long as we've been alive or known this human, they've been there, you mm -hmm. know, and to, and to process that and to, and to accept that. I don't know if, you know, I don't know if anyone ever fully gets there. Yeah. And it's almost like, the forgetting and then the remembering mm -hmm. is like a whole new version of grieving again and again and again. Yeah. Cause for me, what happens is like, but she, because she would be away on these projects for three, four months at a time, you know? And so I wouldn't hear from her or see her for like big chunks of yeah. time. Cause that, that happens with, you know, friendships in Hollywood. We're all busy. We all disappear for six months, three months, whatever it is. And, um, so part of my brain still thinks she's out there shooting something and yeah. then she'll just come back and call me and be like, let's go get brunch at this place. And it's two years later and I still think that way. And then I have this moment of like, oh, wait, no, like it's like this yeah. constant, like hitting reality. I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Ready for the next one? Yeah. I'm as ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> I know these are pretty hard. Um, but they're important. Yes. Uh, our fourth uh, recording is from Hannah Getz, who's also a DP and also went to AFI. The first time I met Helena, I was crewing on an AFI thesis film, just trying to get some more set experience. And they put me in as a grip. And she was key grip. 
And I went up to her and I was so nervous. And I said, you know, I, I have no idea what I'm doing. Do you mind if I just follow you around like a puppy dog? And she looked at me and was just said, yeah, sure, you know, fine. And I did, I followed her around and she taught me so much and she was so patient and kind. And kindness was just a core part of Helena. She was an amazing person and it was funny, you could always depend on her to be at an event if she wasn't working. She was always hustling and she was always putting her best foot forward. And she was always there for you when you needed her. She's one of the best people I knew. I miss her so much. I love you, Helena. It's not the same without you. Okay. <laughs> Hannah is one of my very close friends. So hearing her also process this outside, you know, in this recording, but also I've, you know, I've spoken to her several times about this, you know, since it happened. And, you know, it's just, and I, you know, I know so many people who are close with her and it's just so hard to, to accept, you know, because yeah, yeah. that's like, that's who that's like, Every single person who knew her well, that is what they say about her, how yeah. kind she was, how giving she was, how generous she was, mm -hmm. you know, and how like, and especially in this industry where so often people are trying to push people out, trying to not help open the door, help them learn mm -hmm. all that type of stuff to have people like that is so incredibly important and imperative to, to those who are, who are just starting out, you know? Yeah. She was someone who would uplift people yeah. who would take you by the hand and just bring you with her wherever she was going either physically because again like she just like denise said she dragged <laughs> me to parties all the time but also just she always wanted you to do better like she wanted your career to grow and yeah. whatever she could do to help you and grow that career she would she was incredibly generous that way. Yeah, I, she touched so many people. That's one of the things that's really struck me or that struck me when she died because um, I was one of the people that helped her family plan her funeral. And again, as I said earlier, we had to make it really small because of COVID and all that stuff. And when we were thinking about, okay, uh, who do we invite that was close to her? Our initial list was 450 people that she knew all that best we friends <laughs> yeah that kind of should be considered her that considered that she knew well ish you know and we were like oh god that's that's a life i mean to me that was like that's a life well lived you know yeah. to have that many people that's incredible that she touched that many people's lives and i'm sure it's immensely more than that again those that's that's her close friends yeah <laughs> Um, and so yeah. to hear, hear from people like Hannah, who was a recipient of that, you know, yeah. is it's really important. Yeah. Yeah. I remember because we did have that vigil right at the, um, yeah. was that at local lady? Local. Or? Yeah. It was by local 600, but it was at local 80, I think. Yeah. And there was a lot of people who showed up to that and a lot of, you know, yeah. 
And that was like, yeah, in the midst of the pandemic when we were not gathering in groups, you know, Mm -hmm. in that way. And like to come together for that was yeah, a lot of emotions, a lot of different emotions coming together. Yeah. Her her life and her death affected so many people, so many people. And again, continuously impressed by the amount of people who just walk up to me and tell me, oh, like I met Helena at such and such place and she was kind and generous and did this for me and like, or helped me this way. And it's like, she's still very much, her memory is still very much alive in the community, which is hopeful. So I'm going to play our fifth recording, which is from uh, another community member, a DP and camera operator, Jen White. My name is Jen White, and I'm a cinematographer. I consider myself to be very lucky to have known Helena. Um, She was one of my favorite people. She was complicated, and she was funny, and she was kind, and she was passionate. And I loved every second that I spent with her. I was always happy to see her. And she just had this thing about her where she would just sort of light up the room, any room she was in ever. I have a, I have a lot of stories um, that I love about her, but I will stick to my favorite one. We were at the DGA. I think it was somewhere in 2016 i don't remember what we were doing there um but there were a bunch of vendors we were in the lobby and i remember looking over and she was putting on this i think they called it a spider rig it was this you know sort of steady cam vest type of situation that had these huge sort of robot arms that stuck out the top and then came forward and they supported a Ronin rig. And, um, you know, I look over and I see her getting into this contraption and she was wearing these very tall heels. I have no idea how she could walk in these things. Um, I'm 5'10", so heels aren't really my thing. I've never been able to successfully walk in them without looking clumsy. And it always amazed me some of the things that she would, she would wear on her feet. So she's wearing these huge heels and this tiny little thing with this huge rig on and these big, you know, arms sticking out over her head and this huge camera rig. And she was running around the lobby of the DGA with this thing, just having the time of her life, huge smile on her face. And I don't know why, but the, that's the image that I see in my head. That's what I try to hold in my head um, when I start kind of spiraling about what happened on Rust. And I try to remember her in that moment, just full of joy and being completely herself in every way possible. <laughs> just running around in a crowd of people (laughs) with this crazy contraption on her and these giant heels. And I don't, I can't really explain why, but to me that sums her up 
in some way. It's just like a visual representation of who she was. And, um, you know, I loved her and I miss her terribly. I'm imagining like huge, like four inch pumps or something, but I'm guessing that's not what it was, but that is a beautiful image to keep in my mind right now. Yeah. She was a shoe girl. (laughs) She was a shoe girl. She mostly wore like Converse high tops and stuff. She had those Mm -hmm. in a couple colors, but she had some pretty fabulous heels that she'd wear once in a while. And uh, because she was on the shorter side, I think she Mm might have been five, four or something. Mm -hmm. She wasn't like slightly taller than me. But yeah, I her in uh, high heels wearing a spider rig running with around and around the DGA is 100 percent on brand for her. Yeah, I'm (laughs) sure a lot of people were taking notice of that. Right. Being like on heels. Yeah. Can't even do that in normal shoes. <laughs> wow. That is. Oh, yeah. I'm going to I'm keeping that in my brain. I'm, I'm, I'm taking that memory, too, with me. Yeah. That's a really good one. It's a really good story. I think we all have like that one moment when she was doing something along those lines, <laughs> you know, in our heads. Um, you got one? I do. <laughs> <laughs> So it was the same night we were at Tacos Too Mother. Um, so we had had um, uh, too many margaritas. And uh, <laughs> after we had, uh, we paid the bill, we were like, okay, we need to go like walk around for a bit because we, it's not a responsible thing to get in a car right now. Mm-hmm. And um, again, it was still kind of towards the end of the pandemic. So uh, Weho was completely empty. It was at night. And it was completely mm-hmm. empty. And we were kind of very tipsy, just like walking down Melrose and like giggling like idiots the whole time, just laughing our asses off. And I remember this moment where um, I turned over to her. She had like the the pixie haircut and her hair was like very, very almost like platinum blonde. And we walked under this neon, this pink neon sign and like the the pink light hit her hair in a really pretty way. And I was like, stop, Alina, you need to look at the light on your hair. She's like, oh my God, that looks really cool. And then the two of us sat there being like, well, how do we replicate this exact yeah, shade of pink? I knew that that's where this was going. <laughs> Very tipsily being like, well, I wonder how we can replicate this. Do you think a gel would be better than an LED? I don't know. It's a very specific, there's a magenta tones. 10 minutes of drunkenly this and it's just like us looking <laughs> pulling at her hair looking <laughs> for that specific um and this is why you need to bring a color meter to every single time you go to drinks just in case you need to <laughs> correct correct that's what this is a psa for yes <laughs> a color meter <laughs> but oh uh, that's beautiful yeah, I mean that's that's my heel. That's my version of that story. Um, <laughs> trying to decipher that pink. <laughs> uh, always deciphering that pink, that mm. hue of pink. Yes. Yeah. One hundred percent. Should we go into our last one? I guess so. Let's okay. do it. Our last one's from Angie Shuli. Uh Again, sorry, Angie, if I'm butchering your name. I'm oh. really sorry. But um, here goes. My name is Angelia Shuley, and I'm a cinematographer and storyteller. Helena was a star, golden and bright, 
In everything she had done, she shined. I remember the last time I saw Helena. I was helping her with her lens test. And of course, she was shooting anamorphics. And of course, she was shooting at multiple rental houses. And of course, she was shooting raw. (laughs) And she didn't have enough space on her drive for the footage. So it just so happened I had a brand new drive on me. So I let her borrow my drive. And at one of the places, it was actually they had to keep the drive overnight because it was taking too long to download. Um, And so Helena said she would bring it to me the next day. Well, by the end of the week, I hadn't heard from her and I knew she was leaving the next week to go to New Mexico. And I was getting nervous, like, oh no, (laughs) I need to get my drive back. And I finally heard from her and she said she would bring it the next day and she would bring it directly to me, like at my place. So that next morning, it was Sunday morning, and the light was just beautiful that morning. It was golden, and they were trimming the trees in my courtyard, and there were branches on the ground, and there was the dust was catching the light, and it was so magical and surreal. It was just beautiful. And here comes Helena um, in a beautiful yellow sundress, swiftly walking down the sidewalk in that light. With my hard drive in hand, she had that pixie cut platinum blonde hair and those big sunglasses. She looked like a movie star. And here she comes down the sidewalk, her son following her. And she hands me the drive and gives me a big hug. And I thank her. And she said that her they were going to brunch as a family. And I wished her well. I wished her good luck and on her adventure and for the shoot and gave her a big hug. And off she went back into that light with her son. She put her arm around her son as they walked off. And it was just beautiful to see that moment, them in that golden light. And I'll never forget it. And I wanted to take a picture, even with her coming and going. She was so quick. She was, you know, everyone says she's a social butterfly and she would always pop up at every event. And this is the same. She was so quick. You couldn't catch her. And I'll never forget her. She was such an incredible human and, and so talented and, And she was always golden. Miss you, Helena. That's the thing that I just can't like get over with this is her son, you know, like losing a parent is it's not what it's. Yeah. Not when you're that young. It's not like meant to be that way. No. (sighs) Again, another memory I'm kind of stealing from Angie now. Can see that just like, you know, I know exactly what glasses I think she's talking about, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she always had the really cool oversized glasses. Yes. She was always cool. That's the thing. She always dressed cool. She, she just exuded coolness in this like very effortless way, you know, uh, and I don't, I don't know what, what, what it was about her, but, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, um, I want to close off with sharing the last time I spoke with her. 
unless you have something else to add? No? Cool. I To preface this, I need to say, I, I used to work at a TV station, and a friend of mine gave me four Disney passes. And I had four Disney. I was like, I don't... For Disney, Disneyland, let me clarify. I was like, I don't have, I don't know who I would take. You know, I was like, I, I have a, maybe like one friend or another friend that I could maybe take. But I was like, who, what are the three friends want to come to me with Disneyland? I was like, whatever. And it was right after I shot my third feature. And um, I was like, oh my God, I should take Helena and her family. That's perfect. It's like me. And there's three of them. And like, you know, again, she's been so she's been so generous and so giving to me. It's like, I love to take them to Disneyland. So she was already in New Mexico. We had talked a couple times before while she was in prep. And I called her and it was the day before they started shooting. And uh, she was the way, you know, one usually is the day before one starts shooting. Just a little stressed, a little nervous, a little everything um she didn't have a lot of time but she still made time for me she's like yeah i got 20 30 minutes to talk which she always made time for you whenever you called and uh i was like hey i got these tickets to disneyland you know like once you're back from new mexico um i'd love to take you and your family just my treat let's go and she was like yeah, that sounds fun. I haven't been to Disneyland in a, in a hot second, like, you know, and I was like, yeah, and the, the new Star Wars ride, and it'll be fun. And she was like, yeah, that sounds good. It'll be nice to decompress a little bit after I get back. And um, we talked a little bit about what was going on with her stuff and her prep work, and uh, I was in, as I said, just the post-shooting blues is what I call it. You know, it's just like decompressing from a really intense shoot. And I was telling her about that. And I got into my head the the way I usually do um, about my career. And I think we all do. And I was feeling this huge amount of imposter syndrome and just was like, I don't, uh, Helena, I, I don't think I'm going to make it. I'm not, I don't think I'm good enough. I don't know <laughs> all these things. And I, I don't feel like I'm good enough. And, um, just then she got a, a text message and she was like, hey, I mean, I really got to go. Um, they need me in this meeting that they moved up. But I just want you to know that um, I believe in you. And uh, I believe you're going to make it. Just I need you to believe in yourself. Um, but I believe you're going to be okay. I believe you're talented. I believe in you. Um We'll talk soon. Just don't get in your head. So now whenever I get in my head, which is pretty often, as one does, I kind of go back to that conversation and like, I remind myself that she believed in me. So I need to believe in myself. Especially now that she's not, she's not here. Yeah, and, and that's the message I want to, really uh, send out to everyone out there listening who's a DP. Believe in yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Believe in yourself. Yeah, I think that is very important for us all to remember and think about. And like, 
all of us should be carrying that Helena spirit with us, that locking eyes with people across the room and having a two hour conversation with them and adopting all the introverts you can find. And (laughs) (laughs) which seems to be maybe one of her collectibles. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Yeah. But truly, I mean, like that is like, I, you know, like I think one of the most important things that we can do on the, in this world during our existence is putting out, like making the world better around you, you know, touching people in ways that make their lives better. And she was an example of that. Yes. That is what I keep hearing time and time again, that that's, she is such a beautiful example of that. And we could all really take lessons from that and really keep her in mind. What would, what would Helena do? What would Helena do? Yeah. In all the ways she would yeah. show kindness. She would, she would fight for herself and her and her life and her crew and her everything. Yes. She would put, you know, she would, seems like she would do so much for the people that she loved, including yes. herself. And that's yes. something I think we forget is that we, we, you know, sometimes we are putting p- other people like, you know, first, which is great, but also mm-hmm. remembering, remembering like in these moments, right? Like you need yeah. to believe in yourself. I mean, she believed yeah. in yourself, in you so much. And that's why, you know, like, we all have to believe that we all have to like remember that yeah that we are worthy we are we you know we are meant to be here we are meant to 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 do this thing that we love so much yeah one of the things i take away from it is like she lived life to the fullest yeah every minute she lived life to the fullest she and you hear it in all these stories you see you hear it from everyone who met her like and i think going forward just remembering that too you know just living your life to the fullest you can't live it it doesn't mean that you don't have bad moments we all have bad moments but like just taking the bull by the horns and going off you know yeah run around with that spider rig and your heels exactly Exactly. be the most authentic (laughs) version of yourself yes 100% and that was what that was for her you know and it's yeah yeah well thank you all for listening um if you want to go visit Helena she is buried at Hollywood Forever has a nice right by the lake beautiful beautiful spot honestly great light uh great view of the Hollywood sign too actually um very peaceful spot um good light did I say that yes you did you're a DP. Are you DP? I'm a DP. Well, I, I mean, I help. I helped her husband pick the spot out, and oh, like really? one of the things was like the light on that spot was better. And I, I, I'm really of the opinion that if I let her go to her grave without a spot with good light, she'd come back and haunt me. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> oh man, I was just there the other day. Yeah, and it's it's. I mean, her gravesite's also. A great example of like how much she really impacted the community. Every single time I go, mm-hmm. there's always a bunch of little offerings of different yeah. things and like of the things she loved. I once saw like someone left sushi for her, margaritas, <laughs> Ukrainian flags. I've seen it all on that on that gravesite, and it just really shows how much people yeah. still care about her. So yeah. if you want to visit her, she's out there, and um, yeah, stay safe. Fight for your safety and that of others. And um, yeah, thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening today. 
please follow us on Instagram at the ICFC. You can also reach us by writing to icfcpodcast at gmail.com. This episode was produced by Emilia Mendieta Cordova, Fabian Hausepian, Akina Vandevelde, and Barbie Lung. 